Today is Wednesday. Happy New Year. It's January 3rd, 2024. And it's 2.42 in the afternoon. Hi, this is John Williams, and this is the Mincing Rascals podcast. Thanks for finding us. Share us with our with your friends and email us to johnwilliams at wgnradio.com. You can listen to me on WGN Radio weekdays from 10 to 2. I'm Austin Burke from the Illinois Policy Institute, and you can check out my book, The New Chicago Way, lessons from other big cities. I'm Brandon Pope, host of On the Block, powered by Blog Club Chicago on CW26 and the Making Podcast from WBEZ. I'm Kate Plies, former Chicago reporter and columnist, now running the Strange Chicago History website, Roseland, Chicago, 1972. And I'm Eric Zorn, the rapidly aging proprietor of the Picayune Sentinel, a fine Substack newsletter. <laughs> rapidly aging. And what's that all about, that he- What's What's Bob? Well, I, my birthday is on Saturday, which is January 6th, which is the day that is living in infamy. And oh, I'm no still, kidding. I'm, I'm still mad about the uh, the insurrectionists who hijacked my birthday. I mean, I don't care what they did at the Capitol, but man, that's my birthday. <laughs> it's his birthday January 6th as well. I, I, I feel for you. I'm going to be in the Dominican Republic uh, for January 6th. So You just had a birthday, right, Brandon? I did, yeah. It was a on December 28th, yeah. uh, the weird forgotten time between Christmas and New Year's, oh, but it was uh, a good time. Jan- January 6th is a bad time. To, it, it was a bad day to have a birthday, <laughs> even before even before the insurrection, because it's like it's like 12th day of Christmas. People are just sick of partying. They're sick of everything. And then you come along and go, hey, it's my birthday. They go, shut up. We're done partying. So, <laughs> yep, yep. Well, happy all birthday things to- passed, though. My, my friend Monica... Did not forgive Monica Lewinsky for many years for hijacking her name and oh, making it no kidding. a synonym for hey, we all know what. As long as we're talking about hijacking, let me just hijack this podcast for a moment to say that Kate has this wonderful uh, series of articles about Mike Royko 50 years ago posted to her uh, her Roseland Substack and uh we should put that into the uh into the show notes because that's really it's really some fun reading and um uh, those who are interested in Chicago journalism and Chicago journalism history will really enjoy it. Well, thank you very much. There's a lot going on behind these five voices. So let's start here today. Among the new laws in effect in Illinois this year, and there are many, for instance, October is officially now our state's Italian Heritage Month, as though every month wasn't that in Chicago. No vaping indoors, no video conferencing while driving in Illinois now. Eurasian collared doves are no longer protected wildlife. Your dental records are now the property of the dentist, and so on. Many firearms and munitions are now illegal to buy or sell in Illinois. If you do have one of those so-called assault weapons, you get to keep it, but you should have registered it with the state by Monday, and very few of you did. So what do we make of that then, Austin? Is that therefore a bad law? No enforcement, no compliance? What do you make of that? I think it's partially a a symptom of a bad law. And if you look at some of the complaints that a lot of the people who are passionate about this issue are making, some of them seem very reasonable to me. Name one. One of which is that JCAR has not passed finalized rules for the description of what should be registered. So they made that argument in court. We'll see if it holds up. But there is one hearing in particular that comes to mind where a person said, do the uh, accessories that I have to register, um, what does that mean? Does that mean parts of guns? And the response was yes. 
And the person said, well, do I need to register this? And it was a lightsaber made out of old machine gun parts. So that is an extremely goofy example, but it also matters a lot when the penalty for not registering something is a misdemeanor and a penalty for not registering a second thing is a felony. So you have, anyone can look at these statistics. They're really interesting. If you Google ISP, so the Illinois State Police statistics, they have a dashboard and it shows how many FOID cards there are in the state, how yep. many people have registered. So there's 2.4 million FOID cards in Illinois, which first of all, I would not have guessed that it's that high. 2.4 million people with FOID cards in Illinois. The number of people who have completed a disclosure is just under 30,000. And uh, based on polling, we can assume that the real number is as much as 10 to 20 times that amount. So what you worry with here is that People aren't going to follow. People aren't following this at all. If they register them now, they're admitting to a crime. No, they're not. They're essentially just saying, "Show probable cause. Get a sheriff to come to my house to oh, enforce." Register now. Pardon me. Yeah. Or get a state strength, right? And a lot of the sheriffs are saying, "Like, I'm not going to go do that. This is not well written." So there's two parts of the law, right? One was you can't sell these weapons. That is somewhat easy to enforce on the like store level, right? You can't be a store in Illinois that's selling this kind of thing. This other part of everybody has to register, and we're not going to tell you the final rules of what you need to register, it seems like a complete mess. You could have simply registered everything. I mean, they had plenty of time. They had months and months to register their homemade devices or their devices for which the law was basically written. Your AR-15s, your large magazine, uh, your large capacity magazines, etc. I mean, let's ignore that one example, Austin, but if somebody wanted to comply with the law, they sure could have. Am I right about that? Certainly. Absolutely. And if they didn't want to comply with the law, then I think they have to suffer the consequences of that. I'm not sure what those will be. They're not, you know, all of these people that texted my show and said, this is the first step to them coming to get your guns is the dumbest, most predictable argument you can possibly throw out there. That is so, <laughs> John, that is you just so said, lazy. You just said they're disobeying the law, so we need to come get the gun. Like, they need to suffer the consequences. But they're and not. The but, like, well, okay, but, 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 but the, the implication in that is not that they're going to take the guns that you've illegally kept, but rather they're going to come and get all of your guns. That's what that meme is about. It's like, oh, they're coming to get your guns. Hey, if you got a gun illegally, I have no sympathy for you. If you haven't complied with the law, I have no sympathy for you. But they're not going to come and get every gun. We'll still be armed enough to fend off Canada. We'll be okay. The, the thing that I worry about and the like absurdity that I think this kind of a law can create is what we're kind of getting into, which is like, say that there is, so there's polling around uh, that has statistically significant sample of gun owners in Illinois. 32% of them said that they have owned or own an AR-15 or similarly styled rifle. So we got 2.4 million FOID card holders, say a third of them have had or have this weapon. You're looking at, what is that, 600, 700,000? 800, yeah. Yeah, somewhere around there. So in, in 30,000 have registered, and nobody's, the rest of them no, are nobody's committing a felony? Nobody's playing along. Uh, right, and, 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 playing along. So then the enforcement becomes like, are we going to go after half a million with police, half a million people with these? 
I don't think so. Well, no, isn't the idea, though, that if they catch you with one of these guns, if you uh, that it enhances the penalties or that that uh, they can they can arrest you if you they're not going to come to your house looking for your gun. They don't have they don't have any idea who's got what what guns. And I, I do I do resonate with the idea that, you know, we have to register all kinds of things that, you know, like like your car, your, 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 your real property and so on. I, I really don't have a problem with the idea of, of, of a gun registry of, of being able to track and trace firearms. I think that the, one of the real problems is not, it's not really private ownership of guns. I think the problem is that is the loose traffic in guns. The fact that someone can go buy a big bag full of guns in Indiana and, and sell them on the street. And we have no idea who's got guns. And when the guns are fired and the bullets are discovered, we can't find out who, who fired and uh, fired them. So, I, I guess I'm not paranoid enough to think that the government is going to take a gun registry and then go house to house and take guns. And if the government does end up with that kind of power, we're in a lot of trouble and we're not in, and we're not equipped. Even private citizens with guns are not equipped to fight that kind of a, of a uh, fascistic takeover of our government uh, with with the guns they have. So. I don't. I don't consider that particular fear to be valid, and I. I, I think we should. I think guns should be registered. You should be. Uh, that doesn't. That makes sense to me. And I don't know. If there's been. There's a reason why we shouldn't do that. I get that it's a slippery slope, but anything is a slippery slope. So, by that argument, let's not have almost any laws. I, I would think that realistically, they're going to end up having to issue some kind of advisory on what's included and give some amnesty to people to to late file. <laughs> yeah. But in general, yeah. yeah, it just seems like if somebody gets caught with it, either because they're carrying it around outside or their their house gets searched, they're, um, they're just going to be in for um, greater penalties, which, you know, I, I can't get too worried about. Sounds good. Yeah, there may need to be some sort of amnesty. I think that's actually probably a good idea. But I do wonder. I'm not. I'm not a gun owner in Illinois, um, so I, I just wonder what the communication was in terms of making sure you're registered and what the penalties were for that. And you know, while all of us here on this panel know that there's not going to be any busting in doors and taking your guns from you, the people in the in the right wing circles who have that fear and that belief. This doesn't do anything to help dissuade that in any sort of way. I can see how if you if that's what you believe could happen, it's a fear you have, and you see this, and we just broke down those numbers, you think, wow, I'm a target. We all know it's completely not true, but I can see where that can be led to. So uh, I think amnesty is probably the best idea here. I just wonder what the communication breakdown was, if there was one at all, or was it just people just being like, no, I'm not doing this. You know, that's such a good point, Brandon. It, it, there's just no point in making paranoid people more paranoid. We do. I think we should show some grace to these people. And in terms of the communication, I've got a FOIA card because I actually thought seriously about going and taking lessons one time. And you have to get a FOIA card to do that. I never got around to it, but I've got one. And so I'm technically registered. I never got any email. <laughs> or mailed you know, I, information on this. So how did they? How did they contact people? I just, I just got to say, it's really funny, Kate, that you would say it's a. You're such a journalist. You're such a journalist. 
It's FOID. It's F O I D. Oh, I card. said that, didn't I? Yeah. We should make FOIA cards, though. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> it would, would be, be easier. To have? To... I'd love that. Just go flash it and, and any yeah. kind of office no, there. Any on records <laughs> Freeze. I've got my card. They've got to give you those documents right, right now. You know what I mean, though, okay? Yes. I went to Vegas. I went to a shooting range for fun where they had like tanks and bazookas. And uh, I just shot a regular gun. They really tried to get everybody to shoot a bazooka. But I was like, no, just <laughs> let me just see what it's like to shoot a regular gun. And, you know, it's kind of fun. I thought it, I would like to learn how to do this. And then I never did. Well, but I do have the card. If you want to fire a bazooka, go to Darren Bailey's house because I have in front of me. <laughs> A picture of him, this must have been taken over the holiday, it just posted the other day, but it's a picture of Darren Bailey, who ran for governor unsuccessfully, he's now running for Congress downstate, and there's a picture of him at his dining room table, and he's got all of his big, he's got the big puzzle out there with the pieces everywhere, the borders filled in, Mm -hmm. and then on top of the table and on top of some of the puzzle pieces, uh, he has a bunch of guns, big guns. One of them, by his right elbow, looks like one of those Uzi submachine guns, those little snappy ones. And then he's got some big guns, and he posted with this, I'll be here putting together this puzzle, waiting for Pritzker to knock on my door and take my guns. I will not comply. My, my reaction to that is Darren Bailey is an idiot, and, and it also strikes me as – as a, as a threat, like he, the, there's a, a an inherent violent threat in that posting. I'm waiting for Pritzker uh, with my comply. guns ready, um, and and Pritzker's not trying to take guns away. And I, I mean, it's like it's paranoid, it's idiotic, it's Darren Bailey. He's running for Congress. Uh, <laughs> almost was our governor. I mean, it just almost crazy. was our governor. Well, not almost. I guess he got he got wild. But he, well, the, of the two major parties, he was the nominee for one. So that's almost right yeah. there. Horrifying part of that photo for me, it was like the antique dolls in the background and just the house itself. <laughs> that's the part I like. I, I was looking at the picture horror. to see what are some of the other little. Oh yeah, there is this one the clock, the clock, and then there's this like kind of folk art looking woman in a hoop dress. Yeah, I like that. Right, that's the part I like. Here, Kate, I'll hold oh, it up again for you. It's right over. Here. I want to see the antique dolls, though. Yeah. So. Hold on. Well, here's one. This I'm going to hold it up. I don't know if you can tell. I'm holding it up to the yeah. zoom uh-huh. lens for you, but yeah, yeah. It's like this. This is great, uh, this is, this is great audio, by the way. It's, it's scary. <laughs> so here's Neil Steinberg in the Sun Times about it. He said he was going to rip on it, but then he said, "Ah, looking at some of the now three thousand plus replies, nearly all of them roasting Bailey alive. I did not have the heart to join in. Here are a few choice retorts." Threatening a state governor while confessing what a friendless loser you are is not the flex you think it is, Darren. No one is going to take your guns. Y'all have been crying about this for decades. Now just stop. And somebody else posted, not pictured, friends, family. Grief, man. Is this what you sit around and worry about? But this is what you do when you're running for downstate office. Right, Austin? This is a campaign post, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, this is like subtle campaign messaging by Southern Illinois Republican standards. Like, this is kind of a <laughs> That's coy. You know, like, thing. So, yeah, it's – there's a – David French – 
had a column in the Atlantic a while back about a term that he called gun idolatry. So it's sort of a form of like aggressive, irresponsible fetishization mm-hmm. of weapons. And uh, I don't think it serves people well who agree that we need a strong Second Amendment uh, to do things like that. But as you said, it's if you're in a Republican congressional primary in central and southern Illinois, I mean, you should just throw a gun in every picture just because because that's sort of where the base is at uh, right now. And you have to wonder if, you know, we do this game the opposite way a lot of the times. But if, if someone on the left had posted a picture of them with guns talking about a Republican official, uh, there would be rightfully be people who denounce that. Um, I will say there was an, it wasn't the only uncomfortable photo from an Illinois political figure. If anyone saw Alexi Giannullius keeps taking these photos of himself where he's his belly's on the floor and his like he's like kicking his legs behind him working on the computer and it's deeply unsettling in a completely different way <laughs> than this is. Uh, he so looks like a he look yeah, yeah he looks like yeah. a teenager doing his homework. There's like the wow. TV's on in front of him and he, oh yeah it's it's those are those are really funny. When he's on the radio, he's not funny. He's not he doesn't play, but he also posted at the beginning of the new year or at the end of the last year some of the license plates that they had to reject and with that kind of smile like hey but you know we, we get it, but you can't do it, but I'm going to do it because I'm your cool Secretary of State. Some of the rejected license plates submitted for approval this year included Eat Butt, Boner, Milfs, Whoop Ass, D's Nuts, Poopsie, and Iowa Sucks. Clever is too generous a word, but they did make me laugh. And it was a total <laughs> fail. It was a total fail. Um, I don't know who his people are, but I, I don't think he's imaging himself appropriately for whatever his either offices or aspirations are. I always had the feeling he wants to be more than Secretary of State. I wonder if that feeling was caused by his run for the U.S. Senate, maybe? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe Maybe a little inkling? (laughs) I guess what I'm saying is he's not done running for higher office. Since we last spoke, Former Chicago City Alderman Ed Burke, (laughs) that's pretty funny, Eric, whose trial and tribulations we have spoken about a lot on this podcast, was convicted on 13 counts of racketeering and extortion. 38 witnesses over 16 days testified, Burke himself not among them. The jury deliberated over four days, 23 hours. Sentencing is set for June. And Eric's readers... Eric, don't think, am I uh, misquoting your Picayune Sentinel? Don't think he is going to go to jail for that? They don't think that he's going to be spending any time in jail this year. Yeah, that was the, uh, that was a concern. I I have a, and you'll, this is mean tomorrow's Picayune Sentinel, which is uh, available online and for free whenever whoever wants it, uh, gives the results of a a 36 question survey that I took of readers, what they thought was going to happen during the But were they asked that before or after the verdict? No, this was after the verdict. It was right before the new year that I asked Okay, so after Um, he was found guilty on 13 of 14 counts, was it 13 of 14 or 13 of 
16, anyway, 13 counts. Yeah, well, 57% said that he would not spend a day in prison in 2024. And I think their their thinking might be that this case dragged out so long after his indictment, five years, uh, as Kate pointed out. And the sentencing, I, I it's a sentencing in June. Does anyone know? It's like, it's way, way off. Yeah, it and, is in June. And then after... And then after they sentence these people, these these white collar criminals in federal court, they always give them like lots of time to get their business uh. in order, and and so it's like it, it is theoretically possible. I think that he that he will end up behind bars in twenty twenty four, but he's not going to spend a lot of twenty twenty four behind bars. He's going to spend part of it, I think. Um, and of course, the other the other cynicism is people are going to say that the judge is going to go, oh, the poor guy is eighty, whatever, eighty one years old, and 80. he'll die in prison. He's, he'll die in prison, so this is a life sentence, and and so we're going to just sentence him to probation, which I don't know if that's an option for the judge. I don't know what the sentencing guidelines are, but but um, it could it could well be that the that the judge will be very very lenient. Uh, that's that that was their thing. I disagree with that. I think he will spend time in prison, but and you think he should spend time in prison? I do. do I yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. convicted. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Those are serious serious crimes that he was convicted of. So yeah, it's yeah. not like he's going to commit him again, though. Yeah, yeah but. But John, we've seen that that politicians in Illinois are deterred from from being corrupt by the sentences handed out to <laughs> yes. individuals. Yeah, it works every time. I was surprised how I, like many, was kind of like a oh, typical Illinois politician. He's he's, he's going to get off. They're going to be they had the little technicality issue they were talking about. Um, so it was a monumental day. Uh, I actually voted in that poll, Eric, and I also said that he would not serve time in twenty twenty four, partially because of just that. I just felt like. Sentencing being kicked down, they usually give people a lot of time, and I just had skepticality that they will even give him jail time um, because of his age. I think he needs jail time, deserves jail time for sure, because these are serious things. You've been convicted of uh, more than the majority, well over a majority uh, of them. Uh, You should have some justice served there. I voted in that poll, Eric, that I did not think he would see anything in 2024. I'm always surprised that guys like him... Maybe Blago, well, Blago would have gotten out in a reasonable amount of time. That is, Blago, even if he had served his full sentence, would have still had a lot of life in front of him. But guys like mm-hmm. Burke, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take my chances. I'm going to get a suitcase of money, and I'm going to go. I'm not going to die in jail. This guy could, each of the counts could go 20 years. Just a reasonable, a moderate sentence could be a, a life sentence for him. I guess you could read books and talk to your grandkids on the phone once in a while, but uh, uh, I'm surprised some of them don't just pick up and run. Or like a Brewster's Millions situation where like, I'm going to get sentenced in six months. I got to spend all of this campaign money (laughs) on the goofiest stuff imaginable. What what can you do with that money? You can use it for your defense, right? And you can give it to other campaigns. One interesting thing that uh, I forgot about until reading this again after the break was that his top aide, Peter Andrews, he was acquitted of all counts, which is very interesting. Yeah. I think given the evidence presented Maybe a little bit even, like, of course, they got their big fish, Ed Burke. That's who they're going for. But it wasn't as if this person was completely innocent. He had knowledge of all these things, was participating in all of them, and he gave great evidence. But he will not be punished for that, for, I guess, his boss's, his boss's actions to some extent, but also his, his own. That was such a strange, conflicting verdict, yeah. I mean, obviously, Burke was guilty, but so is his aide. There's... There's no telling for sure what will happen because I think maybe Eric pointed out, I forget, 
that for all we know, the, the judge will really take pity on him being old. But, you know, not necessarily. Look at George Ryan. He died in prison, basically. Right he died. He's, he's, he's still alive. George, <laughs> George Ryan? Is Ryan, did Ryan die? Hey, Pete, yeah. is George Ryan still alive? I'm looking at Am my I wrong? I thought he was... Breaking news, he's still alive. 89. His spirit that you know who died in prison was his wife. That was uh, it was uh, tough on him. That uh, oh, uh, rural, maybe rural that's what that's not but 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 uh, I remember I went to his I went to uh, Georgia's sentencing here. I went to the whole trial, and I remember uh, Dan Webb was up there just like you know rending his garments, saying, "Judge, this man is ill. He's he, this is a, a death sentence you're giving him if you send him to prison, and you know let this man go home." And and uh, it was just, he he's very ill. He's not going to live through prison, and and I, and I think. Uh, you know, I talked to some people who are more friendly with George Ryan than I am, and they said that prison was actually good for him in a way that he ate much better in prison and he got in shape a little bit, and uh, so his health actually improved in prison. So anyway, it's uh, it's strange, isn't it? That so Ed Burke though is caught, tried, convicted, and this year will be sentenced before Mike Madigan even goes to trial. And Burke was only caught because they were going after Madigan when Solis was wearing the wire. And Solis volunteered information, and the guys in the truck went, wait a minute, he said what? And so now Burke gets caught up in this thing. Burke's going to go to jail. Madigan has not even stepped foot in a courtroom yet. Actually, I think he was. Was he in a courtroom today? Today was the first first time. Yeah. They were asking to move back his, his trial based on this case coming out of Indiana. And in fact, they did. Now, he's not going to go in. Uh, the, the trial will not begin until at least October 18th. <laughs> Talk about running out the clock. I mean, he's in his 80s, too. Wow. And he's a master of uh, procedure, unlike any other. So we will now not see a verdict until 2025. Yeah. I mean, he will be, yeah, he'll be 80, he'll be 82. When his trial starts, so you know whatever you make of all of that in the case of Burke or Madigan, you know their age and what do we do with old men who, uh, you know, may die in jail. But the the number that's offensive is the years that they were getting away with it. It's the years mm-hmm. that everybody knew that Madigan was flying under the radar and Burke was flying above the radar. Everybody saw what Burke was doing and suspected what Madigan was doing. Yeah. It was an open for both of these people. Uh, it was like an open, not even secret. These guys operate political machines wherein their public policy actions are tightly tied to favors that are given to them on the uh, on the personal side, and that is uh, still happening today. We don't have strong conflict of interest rules still in the Illinois General Assembly. The ethics packages that have been passed in the wake of uh, indictments in the city council and in the general assembly have been laughably weak, and we should expect more of this. Um, we're we're likely never going to get another person who is house speaker for thirty four of thirty six years, but we will get a bunch of petty uh, petty criminals in public office yeah. until that changes. And there's really no one. I didn't. Brandon Johnson had an opportunity after Ed Burke went down to say, here's my agenda. We're putting this forward. He said, basically, Ed Burke's a bad guy. 
Yeah, whatever. Um, and that is not unique to Brandon Johnson. That has been elected officials in Illinois for all the way up to Governor Pritzker. They also had very little, if nothing, to say about this. So this these things should be used as opportunities to make reforms, but people in power are not interested in doing that. Here's another reform they should make, since this is the last time we might talk about Alderman Burke. So he's going to jail. He will certainly lose his pension but Danny Solis right now, they're saying, is going to keep his pension. That bothers you? Which is insane. Yeah, I, that would be a yes. Well, but isn't that part of the deal? Isn't that how you get people to comply? I mean, uh, if the Madigan, if he plays correctly with the prosecutors on the Madigan case, then there will never be charges against Solis, right? That That's still part of the deal he has to fulfill. Definitely part of the deal is obviously wearing the wire, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he he's not supposed to get uh, charged and convicted with anything that I would say should be enough. Keeping your pension also. No. And technically he doesn't have to necessarily get to keep his pension. I don't think it's, that's not even up to the prosecutors. It's just what they're saying right now that he's going to be able to keep his pension because he wasn't convicted of anything, which means he wasn't convicted of anything relating to his job. But, if you remember, when Larry Bloom got convicted, he was not convicted of something related to his job. They got him on his taxes. Okay, so it was kind of an Al Capone situation. And he went to the pension board and said, I should get to keep my pension because I was not convicted of anything related to my job, which is what the law says. And they said, nope, you're still not going to get your pension. Who is Larry Bloom? Larry Bloom, the alderman, used to be from the Fifth Ward. Um, he got caught in Silver Shovel. And he, he was the mis- literally the Mr. Clean of the council. Um, so I'm just saying, if the pension board can take away his, they should be able to take away Danny Solis's. I, I mean, I, I understand that prosecutors would like that little extra thing to throw at people. Oh, I bet you get to keep your pension. But... No, they shouldn't get to keep their pension. Even when they don't get to keep their pension, though, don't they get the money that they've put into the pension fund back? Not the not not the pension benefit, but if they, they look uh-huh. at all the investments you've made, and you get that back. It's, it seems it's, like you've gambled. The, the, the gross it, it should be you you gambled. Yeah, it should be that you gambled and lost. And sorry, you know. You, you, but the money they put in is considerably less than what they get back. Amen. So. To right, that. that's the problem. Yeah. <clears throat> I want to go on to a few more weightier topics that will take more than a couple of minutes. So before we do, let's just get your opinion on Michigan playing for the national championship in college football. Uh, I was hoping to avoid that. That's what. <laughs> um, well, Eric, congratulations to your team. I believe that integrity and truth still matter in sports. And I would hope that um, Washington wins on monday january 8th great to have two big 10 teams in the championship i think washington is going to be representative of what most of college football wants to see if michigan wins i think it'll be a waste of a championship because it's probably going to get vacated so congratulations though this is big um for harbaugh and for that program Uh, they i was talking trash for so long because they can't win big games until now. They almost lost a big game. They're they're doing some Michigan, typical Michigan things. That that muffed punt right at the end of the game by Michigan could have been man. A, it could have been one of the one of the most agonizing moments in all of sports. 
uh, the most d- dumb mental errors that's ever been committed. But uh, I, I'm writing about that in tomorrow's Picky and Sentinel. Uh, I, I think you could well be right, Brandon, that the NCAA might strip the uh, Wolverines of their of their championship because of the science ceiling scandal. I, I just I don't know how deep that goes, but it's going to take them a while to get that uh, that ruling because the NCAA does not do anything on a on a. What rat. do they, they need they, to know these, that? What do they need to know that all of us sitting here I don't, don't know. know? I don't know. They make the federal court system seem. I was going to say, talk about <laughs> justice marching slowly. If the Big Ten can figure it out in enough but, time to penalize them a few but, games. But I got I got I got to add something about talking about uh, Brandon's beloved Ohio State Buckeyes, who I was rooting oh, for oh. in that bowl game against Missouri, and and uh, because I'm a Big Ten guy, and I and I was rooting for the, the Buckeyes, and and the problem is that like Marvin Harrison, their wonderful elite receiver who may well be a Chicago Bear next year, uh, sat out the game, and you can't blame him for sitting out a meaningless bowl game because he if he you know he bust up his knee then he loses millions of dollars and and if, if he wins the game big deal uh so they, so they had these elite players sitting out the, the starting quarterback for ohio state entered the transfer portal and is now part of syracuse so they had a backup quarterback who got hurt early in the game so they got the third string true freshman quarterback that was nothing like the buckeyes that you saw during the season and that bowl game was was embarrassing and boring and everything else and i think and a lot of these bowl games were bad because of florida state yeah the and the florida state georgia game was was an abomination i mean the florida state they had most of their stars were sitting out it was 63 to 3 was the final on the florida state game and 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 so I think that that the combination of the transfer portal and these uh, these guys who just refuse to play, which again I totally understand, I totally understand both of them, but it it turns these these meaningless postseason games into just farces, and they got to do something wow. about that. Two big changes I propose: you move the transfer portal and early signing day dates back <laughs> because it's ridiculous that they have free agency happening before the final game postseason. Sure, that's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. Second, the bowls have to get to a point where they just start paying kids. That's just the way it's got to be. They already give all these student athletes, if it's a PlayStation Bowl, they're, they're given PlayStations. They're given rings. They're given all kinds Pop-tarts, of perks. Free Pop-Tarts. Pop-Tarts if you want. Free Pop-Tarts. But that's, that's money. Like, that's money from the company. So instead of giving them that, just give them money. And I bet you, I bet you, you get way less opt-outs if there's some financial benefit. Well, why would you leave Ohio State to go play at Syracuse except maybe NIL? <laughs> except name, image, likeness, right? It's maybe there's just such a better financial deal for you. Is Don't you suspect that's really what's driving this? I mean, if you're playing at Florida State and you're 14-0 – you don't want to be on that team anymore? The exodus from Florida State was crazy. That was a JV team they trotted out there. they got to fix the system a little bit because I think many people are pro players receiving money and benefits for their name, image, and likeness, but there's got to be some regulations. What about moving the transfer portal till after the season is over for every team? But I still wonder if those yeah. kids would have played, say, at Florida State because – like Eric said, they don't want to get injured. Well, I mean, if you pay them, if you pay them, most of them are not going to make money as a pro, so you wouldn't have as many people sitting out. But, but uh, uh, you know, the the thing about moving the transfer portal after the final game is that it 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 makes even more of a sham this idea that these are student athletes or student athletes, I should say. That that the idea was well, they have to transfer because they need to get to the start of the next semester at their new school, and you know, but the, which is of course nonsense. But but. Uh, 
I think moving it back, moving the transfer portal back would be a really smart, really smart move. Go Huskies. Uh, nice to talk to you, Brandon. I know you got to no, cook out. But, no, uh, go blue. What are you talking about? Go Huskies. Uh, Purple power. I'll see you guys later. Okay, man. <laughs> Happy New Year. Happy New Year. A court in Colorado and the Secretary of State in Maine have said that Donald Trump is ineligible to appear on the Republican primary ballot. Several other states are considering similar measures. Arguments for and against have boiled down to two central arguments. A, it isn't for unelected judges and state officials to make such a decision. Let the people decide in the next election who they want, maybe their representative or their party to be, or the next president to be. Let the people decide. Or B, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment clearly says that if you incite or aid an insurrection, you are ineligible. It's in the Constitution. People don't get to randomly decide what parts of the Constitution they do or don't want to adhere to. You can't run for president if you're 25 years old. Why? It's in the Constitution. If you don't abide by the Constitution, then you're ineligible. Donald Trump is therefore ineligible, goes the other argument. I see problems with both of those. If I was the decider... Even though I would most certainly never vote for him, I would put him on the ballot because um, I, I know it's not in the Constitution that you need to have actually been convicted of trying to incite an insurrection. But that is, after all, one of our other basic values that people should have due process. So I have a problem with someone getting kicked off the ballot for something that they were not convicted of. Uh, it's uh, to me, it's 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 very similar to any free speech issue. It's very easy to picture somebody who I would like to vote for, um, you know, being, um, you know, accused of something and not put on trial. But, you know, that's enough. If, if just accusing somebody and not actually having the evidence to convict them is enough then, you know, where does that lead? Don't well, there, there was a, an extensive hearing. I, I basically agree with you, Kate. There was an extensive hearing in Colorado. There wasn't, I think in, in Maine, it was just the Secretary of State there made the decision. That's in, right. in Colorado, there was a pretty extensive hearing about the insurrection. And, and, the, and the problem is, of course, that I think that this, uh, the 14th Amendment was in, and the language there was, had in mind the the uh, you know secession that you had you know they didn't want Robert E. Lee being able to run for president of the right, United States right. and and they knew that they wouldn't if he were tried in a southern court he would have been acquitted yet he was still an insurrectionist I mean it's 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 a you know the problem we talked earlier about the the firearms laws when they're yep, really yep. vague then all of a sudden when you want to enforce them when you think well this is an obvious situation well maybe it's not. Uh, maybe we don't we don't have a, a precise definition. I know we don't in the Constitution. We don't have a precise definition of what insurrection is. Uh, is standing by while this riot is going on at the Capitol and not doing what you're supposed to do to stop it? Is that insurrection? Is telling people to fight like hell? Is that insurrection? And and um, you know, so so I think you're you're right basically. And and you know, the other thing is, although I would. Love to be sure that Trump would not be reelected president because I think it would be a complete disaster for our country. Um, I also think that he's going to be the easiest Republican for the Democrat to beat next year. <laughs> really? You think Joe uh, Biden so, can easily oh, beat Donald Trump? I think he will beat Donald Trump. I think he would have more trouble with a Nikki Haley uh, or even a Ron DeSantis. Uh, but I, 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 
Yes, I think I think he would be. I think the polls reflect this too. Trump would be easier for Biden to beat than Nikki Haley, just for instance. Um, but you know about whether or not he was convicted of insurrection, what does that even mean? Uh, that paragraph, which tries to do so much, it does very little. It does say or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. Maybe the problem with that is enemies rather than aid or comfort. But clearly, Donald Trump was aiding or giving comfort. We love you to the people that stormed the Capitol. Now, are they the enemies thereof? Maybe that's the problem with that. But he wasn't convicted of anything, and it's not clear, even if this applies to the former president of the United States, but he did give aid or comfort. I agree with the murkiness of the constitutional question here, and I also think that it's the start of a potentially concerning trend whereby Many state officials in presidential election cycles attempt to do things like this in order to elevate their own political brand. And I I think that that is something that will become more common. And that isn't to say that any state action against Donald Trump, that all of that is simply just someone shining a spotlight on them. Right. But it is a factor at play increasingly. You could see, for example, in the next presidential election, the pick like the reddest state, pick like Idaho or Mississippi or something. If if you're going to have this kind of precedent set for these types of rules applied to a presidential candidate, you can totally imagine the other shoe dropping on that in a kind of ugly way. Give me an example. Say the uh, this is going to be a, a messy one, but like say the Idaho Secretary of State says that can get a court to agree with him that the Democratic presidential nominee was giving comfort to some enemy of the, the United States, right? Or something something like that, right? It's not that it's not that hard to come up with something. Okay, but 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 <laughs> can, I, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but I mean, compare that to what we actually had on the ground on January 6th. It's a difference in scale. And I, I think the I, I struggle to come up with what the hypothetical would be on that scale. But I just, it, it might not matter because the point would be that that person in their base hates the other person so much that they won't care what the underlying... Sure. Uh, and we have uh, both of them. And we're seeing this right now with this Republican effort to impeach Joe Biden over vague offenses that they are yet to figure out what they are. They're trying to impeach him. They're conducting an inquiry to impeach him based on suspicion that he might have done something wrong. Uh, so it's not what Austin's saying is not far-fetched. You, you could easily imagine a deeply red state saying, you know, Joe Biden um, he, uh, was was insufficiently hostile to uh, immigrants coming into the country. Therefore, we, we consider that to be an insurrectionist act and we're going to kick him off the ballot. And then you could see a bunch of judges going, "Yeah, sure, that sounds good." So yeah, I, I don't, I don't think it's that far fetched. Okay, I, I but think then, it is. A, it is. A so road all right, to go okay, down. okay. So then, what about what happened January sixth? Just forget about the comparisons or the contrasts. Just tell that, me. I think what, how what Kate is this saying is. is you should go through the 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 justice system to get a conviction or find truth or find justice in that uh, from that event, but. This, which is essentially a punishment, is being done before that that has been proven in a in a court. Yeah, um, which technically is not required in the Constitution. I, right. I get that, so I I don't blame somebody for having a different opinion than me, saying this is what it says in the Constitution and that's that. 
I just I just think long term that it's dangerous and that much as I, I hate to say it, I, I do think that if it gets to the Supreme Court that they should let Donald Trump be on the ballot. I also don't think it's good for the just overall for the climate, for the divisiveness to be not letting people vote for who they want to vote for. It's not going to help. So if Donald Trump robs a bank and we know it's against the law, but it's Donald Trump that robbed the bank. Let's let the people decide if he should keep the money. I mean, well, no, that is that is robbing a bank. That is something he would. I assume. What do you think happened on January? What do you think happened on January 6th? Did was there an insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th? And did he engage in or give aid to the people that were doing that? I know I don't have a conviction in a court of law, but I mean, and even I'll acknowledge that this paragraph wasn't written for what happened on January 6th. But I don't think I think that that peg is pretty round. And so is the whole. I think this fits pretty closely. Oh, okay. I mean, if you're going to push me on it, I'm going to have to say that as ridiculous as January 6th was, I cannot put it in the same category as firing on Fort Sumter. It, it was pathetic. It was absolutely pathetic. Um, I think everyone involved in it should get convicted of anything we can convict them of and get the harshest sentences possible. What they did was reprehensible, but I don't think it rises to that level to the point that I'm certainly willing to let state officials um, make those kind of decisions that affect who the entire country I know that, and I believe what Eric and Austin are saying is plausible. I I can actually see what you guys are doing there, but I want to just stick to what happened on January 6th, because otherwise I might lose this argument. Let's take it to court. Let's see you get convicted. (laughs) Of uh, Of course, the problem with court is they won't even convert it. They'll do a verdict for five years. And if he does win re-election, then uh, they're going to say, well, you can't prosecute him because he's the president, which I think is is probably a pretty sound, pretty sound rule in general. And so then it doesn't even matter anymore because he, unless he decides to run for a third term, which I wouldn't put past him. When this first came up, I wish that those two conservative academics had not reminded everybody of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment because nobody knew about it, and and it just seemed to be such a stretch. It seemed to be such a reach. But but here we are. All along, for instance, I thought, yeah, that's, um, that's aiding an insurrection or being an insurrectionist. You shouldn't get to be president. But I never thought yep. that it would come to this point. Well, an yeah. argument that does not hold much water with me is they let the people decide whether, they, whether this was insurrection or not by letting them vote. And the reason you have a constitution – and and people who are so staunch about the Second Amendment will certainly see this also. Is you have a you have a Second Amendment as a guard against letting the people decide every issue. If the people decided the gun issue, there would be a lot more restrictions on on guns. Just for instance, uh, so anyone who's saying, "Well, let the people decide," if we let the people decide, then we would have to throw out say the thirty five year age limit on on the presidency. We would have to throw out the citizenship requirement for the president, mm-hmm. uh, a born citizen requirement. They, you know, all this business about where Barack Obama or Ted Cruz was born would be irrelevant. But but the Constitution uh, does lay out certain parameters. You can't say, well, maybe Vladimir Putin could run for president of the United States because let the people decide. Well, no, we have we have a Constitution <laughs> to prevent that. We have a Constitution to prevent that. And and because uh, we know that certain principles are so bedrock that they they should not be subject to, to uh, the whims of public opinion, and uh, and so I guess this issue about 
about insurrection. It, it's it, it's a shame that it wasn't more clearly spelled out what right. they mean by that. Right. Right. Uh, because we 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 don't yeah. know what that what that meant. And um, I'm I guess I'm content to let the courts sort it out. Uh, and I hope that whatever however they do, it ends up. Well, how do you Trump guess the, the current Supreme Court is going to rule on this, Eric? I'll give you one possible oh, answer. And I guess that's also just another layer of what bothers me about this. He's going to get away with it again. He gets away with everything. He didn't pay his contractors all the way up to he led a rebellion against the United States, and he gets away with that too. The guy gets away with but one exception so far, everything. I've seen some speculation that the Supreme Court is made up of largely more conventional Republicans and, uh, and of course, some liberal Democrats, and that they will see this as a really good chance just to get rid of Donald Trump. Because I know a lot of Republicans uh, would really like to see his back. And they can't say so, and it's it's politically toxic because his base is so strong and so rabid, but that it would be a really good opportunity for the Supreme Court to say, well, you know what, this counts as ins- – we, the way we read the law, the way we read what happened, this counts as insurrection. It, the states are, are certainly entitled to consider it insurrection, and if they do, then he's off the ballot. Yeah. That would basically kill his presidential choices, and the, and, the, and the Republican Party would have to look for another nominee – uh, and I, I think that there are a lot of Republicans who, at least secretly, hope that that's the case. That would be great. I'm not going to go out and protest against the Supreme Court if they keep him off the ballot. Yeah. I just think it should be up to them, I think, because it's such an important question. I'm just not super comfortable about it going on a state-by-state basis. Yeah, I, I would like to see the Supreme Court, and, and usually their rulings will clarify and discuss what they believe the framers meant, what they believe that amendment means, and and that would, perhaps would offer some clarity here. And and they, I could I could imagine them saying, you know, some of the strict constructionists would say, you know what, as much as it may pain us to do this, uh, we have to re- read the letter of the law and realize that this qualifies as insurrection. We've been listening to John Williams on WGN, and we believe that he is <laughs> – he has uh, he is a, a, a traitor. This is treasonous and insurrectionist, and he doesn't belong on the ballot. If they are not just conservatives but constructionists, maybe they will read it the way they did the Second Amendment, a common-use weapon way back then, applies today, and that's why we get to have AR-15s in some places. So maybe they would be that conservative in their read of the Constitution. But I have so little faith in this Supreme Court, and I'm not alone in that, that I I I would be shocked. I shocked I say that they would <laughs> rule against Donald Trump on this. God help us in 2024. <laughs> it's going to be a barn burner. Kate, let's just talk briefly as we wrap this up about the president of Harvard stepping down. Mm-hmm. Um I don't even know where to begin on this, but three college presidents have come under fire. And the latest now is the president of Harvard stepping down for what stems from her testimony before a congressional hearing and also for uh, charges of plagiarism against her. That may have been the straw that broke the camel's back, but it was being weighed heavily by what she said before Elise Stefanik. Uh, what's your thought about all that? I may have a different take on this than than you all about her testimony. I did not think that she should get fired for the testimony. I didn't even disagree necessarily. I don't disagree with the three of them who were saying that calls for genocide do actually take some context, because if you go by free speech, First Amendment, it it does require some context. The problem with their testimony, 
besides the fact that their delivery was just god awful, you really felt like they absolutely did not care one way or the other. They so were too lawyered up, I think. But keep yeah, going. they were just yeah that that was just awful. But the problem was that all three of them were being complete hypocrites because all three of their schools have terrible free speech records and. Harvard, as you probably all know, was literally dead last in the um, the fire ratings this year. Fire being a foundation for individual rights and education for anybody who's not familiar with them. They are a terrific group. They've been around for, I'm going to say, about 10 years. Lots of really... Um, what do they score? What do they do? They ever they're they're whole they kind of do what the ACLU used to do for free speech and they they used to only focus on schools free speech now they've kind of taken it you know to all free speech but basically if there's threats to free speech on campus they will pay for the lawyers to um, or advise to deal with it and every year they do a ranking of the colleges with a, a very detailed questionnaire to figure out who's got the best free speech climate on campus, you know, based on things like, are they firing professors for saying things that are not politically incorrect? Are they letting the students shut down speakers because they don't like what they're saying? That sort of thing. They and also Harvard, whole students, which is interesting too. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, yeah, exactly. Uh, they, exactly. They actually, they renamed their, they, they took a new uh, name in June of 22. They're now the foundation for individual rights and expression. They branched out oh, from just education. Right. I forgot. So, uh, and, and, and I, I actually, I, I admire a lot of what they do because they try to call out this, this hypocrisy and, uh, and, a lot of these elite schools are very hypocritical when it comes to that. I, I thought that the uh, the answers they gave were like too lawyerly, and and they failed to challenge uh, Elise Stefanik on what exactly she meant. Because when you say uh, you know, calling for yeah. genocide of the Jews, when people say you know from the from the river to the sea, and uh, Palestine will be free. Some people hear that as a call for genocide for the Jews, and other people just hear it for like, hey, we we want. Palestinians to have equal rights in Israel, and so to it's a question of like, what do you mean if, if someone is out there saying gas the Jews or 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 you know, like uh, you know kill all the Jews or specific individuals that that that's that's specific and that and that is uh, I think a category difference in something that, that some people interpret that way, and I think that's kind of what they were saying. Like it depends on the context. But it was it was so badly said. The problem with with um, with, the, with the Harvard professor was that then after this, this started happening, then there was this this rather major investigation into her academic integrity. She had some plagiarism issues that she dealt with, and the things that I saw suggested that they were they were pretty sloppy at best uh, in terms of what what she uh, what she did in her in her in her academic writing, and that's not acceptable. At, a, at an institute, not at any institution of higher learning, but particularly not at Harvard, uh, and that that investigation never would have happened if she hadn't fumbled fumbled the uh, congressional hearing. Yeah, you're right. It, it it may not have have come out if it weren't for those hearings. I think it's really unfortunate that the two things are are necessarily being conflated because now that people who didn't think that she should resign for the plagiarism are saying that. It's really because of those hearings or it's because of people being racist and just wanting her out because she's black. And it seems to me they were not going to push her out for those hearings, which I think well, is they right. Pay, 
Um, they, yeah, but, I think that's right too. And and they stuck by her. If you remember, exactly, after after exactly. the hearings, they, they yes. the Harvard board said, you know, no, we you know we we're standing by her. And then something has changed in the last couple of weeks. And I think it it it, I, it may have been more public pressure, or it may have been that some of their mega their, uh, investigations that, well, or their the investi- plagiarism their invest- is the plagiarism is absolutely undeniable. Um, yeah, right. you go to a lot right. and of different may- places to see them side by side, her papers and what she plagiarized. And it is, I mean, there's just no arguing it. She is it's sloppy at best, multiple right? times. Sloppy at, very, at the very best. And, it, and there may be more that came out. The Tribune had a pretty good editorial this morning saying that, you know, Harvard hasn't really been very forthcoming about all this stuff. So we don't know what else there might be. But uh, her resignation was fairly abrupt and and fairly opaque, really. Uh, so I'm I'm not I don't know what to draw from it exactly. Well, I, I think they, they had to push her out because the plagiarism was so obvious. And if you, I mean, I I looked at some things in the Crimson, and it was very clear that at Harvard they do expel students at least for a semester, if not an entire year. For a single instance of the kind of plagiarism, <laughs> yeah, multiple yeah. times, and if and if a student did that multiple times, they would just be out forever. So I mean, once all that evidence is out there for everybody to see, it's just indefensible. Either they have to stop disciplining students for plagiarism, or they have to get rid of their president. They reached an untenable situation where you can either be the number one institution of higher learning in the world, or you can have a plagiarist as your president and you cannot have both of those things. And the way that they handled this, I think is like the worst of all worlds um, because one, they waited. Uh, there's There were plagiarism accusations before the latest round that were totally true. And she still is a dean there or has a job there and is going to get paid, I think $900,000 next year. So yeah. I mean, everybody's still mad. And and the other thing that I thought was interesting about this was in the coverage of it happening, almost spoke to the dynamic that uh, it spoke to part of the reason that people reacted so strongly to these presidents saying what they said about free speech in front of Congress. The Associated Press headline of this, which they have changed was Harvard president's resignation highlights new conservative weapon against colleges, colon, plagiarism. That's wild. Can you imagine an Associated Press headline that's like, Democratic Party has new weapon, the Associated Press. Like, that is such a non-journalistic take on what happened. And clearly, because they ended up changing the headline, but... It, this whole situation has seemed like a major cultural turning point in the wake of those congressional hearings about, uh, especially in powerful institutions like how, uh, like Harvard, the governing bodies, uh, let's say, feelings toward certain ideology, certain progressive ideologies overriding the excellence of an institution. And I think that that's changed tremendously over maybe the last year you do not see something like this happening in the wake of george floyd for example um or in the wake of you know every fortune 500 company making massive investments in in dei departments same thing with uh institutions of higher education 
I think there's a serious pendulum swing that is happening on that. And this is just one one very high profile example of that. So what's an example of the kind of free speech or speech that should or should not be allowed, either in the Harvard case or just in general? What should the presidents or boards at these colleges allow or not allow? University of Chicago is very liberal about this. I mean, they're the the zenith of that, right? What You almost think they just don't want to get involved. Like, we'll just be completely hands-off, y'all. Well, they don't. Y'all that's don't hit each other. And, and maybe that's yeah. the only course to take, but then you're ignoring some terrible things. So what's what's a university now, to do? I would I would say that the best thing that could come out of this is if Harvard and others at, um, come around to understanding that the University of Chicago does have the best approach to this. And they've based it, I mean, they they... They studied this back in the 60s with the Calvin Report after all the Vietnam protests, etc., when people wanted them to come out and have a Vietnam point of view. And what they came up with was, no, the university itself is here to house people and be a community for people to have this debate and voice their viewpoints. The university is not the one with a viewpoint because when the university comes out, with a pronouncement about what is right and wrong, then it's going to be chilling everyone else's speech because they might be afraid for Mm -hmm. their own jobs Mm -hmm. if the president of the university or other administrators, other at U of C, even specific departments are not supposed to make their own pronouncements about anything because that means various professors or students within those departments now are going to be afraid to say that they disagree. Um, Even if the point that, of view is defensible. Like, if, you're, if your view mm-hmm. was 9-11 was a bad thing and we support America. You oh, yeah. You could, can't even do that at UC. Nor, nor should you, maybe, is, is the more important point. It's not yeah. necessary. It's not your place. Right. And at UC, it's it's really worked beautifully. I mean, what they've done on campus right now is they've allowed the protests on either side for Israel or Palestine. But when the pro-Palestinian protesters broke their their rules for how protests are supposed to comport themselves, etc., they went and um, took over the administration building. They arrested them. They told them, you, you've got until five o'clock and then we're arresting you. And then they did. And guess what? They they stopped trying to take over buildings, you know, whereas in other colleges, the students expect that they can stay, take over any building they want mm-hmm. and pizza and burritos should be sent into them as some sort of civil right, which is. There were, yeah, there, and there were some complaints down there at UChicago about that, right? Mm-hmm. About the arrest oh, of their saying, oh, we don't have freedom of speech and so on. And, and but, you know. The, which is a kind of speech, is, by the way. You get to say that, but you also have to play by the rules. Mm-hmm. Certainly, you do. And and you know, I'm I'm glad I'm not the person who's making the decision about what is it that constitutes something that's, that crosses the line. I mean, that's always an issue with with free speech, which is you know, at what point are you threatening individuals? At what point are you saying something that is so uh, manifestly unsettling to a community that it 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 becomes almost a hate crime. Right. If you're out there holding a sign saying gas the Jews or something like that, that that seems to me to be something that, that should not be 
permitted on a college campus. Um, and and maybe not. I, I, you know, I, I don't I don't know where I draw the lines, where I draw the boundaries. Uh, and of course, we all have instinctive and great revulsion for sentiments like that. But but, uh, you know, commitment to free expression is often a commitment to countenancing things that are revolting. And I think a really important thing to recognize is not only um, what speech is allowed on campus, but what Kate was alluding to, which is what are the institutional stances that these institutions of higher learning are going to take? And increasingly, over the last five years, they're taking very public stances on uh, contentious issues, and maybe even not contentious issues, maybe like a lot of people would agree on what the best thing to do is. But when you're Harvard or your whatever an Ivy League school, or if you're just a regular, you know, if you're a state university somewhere, right? Or if you're a community college, if you make part of your mission, for example, the dismantling of systemic racism, that is going to, there are going to be a lot of people in stakeholders of that institution that say, yes, this is a great idea. But when that comes into conflict with other values that are traditionally in functions of universities, like the pursuit of truth and knowledge, uh, it's going to create situations like this. Um, so not only is it about protecting speech of students, however unpopular it may be, it is also um, sticking true to the purpose of the institution and being very careful about that. Exactly. And and UC is so great about this that uh, even the lab school, you know how they have the University of Chicago Laboratory School, the university high school I'm pretty sure it was the high school science department put up some kind of um, um, land acknowledgement statement and they made them take it down. Land, what's a land acknowledgement statement? Land acknowledgement about we're, we stole this land from Native Americans <laughs> and we yeah, acknowledge yeah. this and blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. That's, that's just not allowed at UC. They took it down. I, I don't get to brag about UFC's football team. So I'm just still. Because I am not going to go, yay, UFC. Some of these things, like in that example too, Kate, the absence of that comment would not be noteworthy. You don't have to do it. I felt that way at times about a lot of the companies when Target would sometimes dip its foot into the LGBTQ issues or God knows what happened to Bud Light. I mean, you know, is it incumbent upon universities or major American corporations to be part of these conversations? And I don't blame them if they take a pass on that, that if the idea is just let's be a free-form place for kids to figure it out or let's sell as many houseware items as we can, you could just live in that space. And I don't think I would be critical of you for not getting out of it. There's no end to that, right, is oh, the point. God. Because if there's always a new thing that you might – as soon as exactly. you come at one of those things, there's 10 yeah, more that are equally yeah. deserving of yeah. your attention. Well, aren't you respond. going to talk about this? Well, what about Harbaugh? Yeah. What about the Michigan game? You got to have a, What's your statement <laughs> exactly. about that? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, that, that's where my optimism comes in. I don't think that a lot of these colleges – would want to adopt the UFC stance, but I think there will be quite a few who do it because they will see that it's going to get them out of a lot of future scrapes. Anything okay. else, Eric or Austin or Kate? You just want to just sure take just you? just take out that Brando was talking about Michigan football. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you are the one who all along his said that Harbaugh will or should lose his job. And I think you've also said, Eric, that, in fact, Michigan should have to vacate the wins and forfeit the championship should they win it, right? 
Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I'm very pessimistic about it. I think that uh, um, Harbaugh had to know what was going on. If he didn't know, he, he was he didn't. out of control of the thing. He said he didn't. I know. Um, I, I don't know what, you know, m- maybe it didn't apply to this season. Maybe they didn't steal any signs from any opponents this season. I don't know. We'll see what, maybe the NCAA will tell us in a few years what they think. But I think Harbaugh will be long gone by then. I think he's going to, I think he's jumping to the uh, NFL, the NFL. Again. Yeah. Enjoy the game. And uh, I've enjoyed your conversation today, guys. Thanks for being part of the Mincing right. Rascals. Lots of fun. Go blue. That's uh, Kate and Eric and Austin. Brandon had to click out. We're produced by Ben Anderson and Pete Zimmerman. I'm John Williams, and we'll drop another pod on you next week. Great one, guys. That was fun. That was great. Yeah, Thank you. Thanks Bye. for your time, campers. Right. See you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Woo! to the Mincing Rascals podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Music Store. You can now also follow us on Spotify or you can keep listening online at WGNRadio.com. 